Hey, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Woodstock City Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download the Woodstock City Church app where you can access all of our recent message content as well as find out about what's going on around Woodstock City Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. So we uh, kicked off a brand new series last week called Check Your Heart, Check Your Heart, where we are talking about um, the spiritual conditions of our hearts. And, and specifically, over the course of three weeks of the series, we're talking about three different tests and three different indicators that tell us, um, help us monitor the condition of our hearts, tell us what's really going on on the inside, and then what we can do about it. And, and you know this, right? Like we, we kind of joked last week, uh, Christians, at least they used to, used to love this phrase. You know, we'd tell somebody to check their heart whenever they did something or said something. And the implication was they said something or did something. Something was on the outside of them that made its way to the outside. And we said, check your heart. Why? Because it's like we had this conscious understanding, this subconscious understanding that there's something going on on the inside that is the root of the problem. And just like, just like there are various tests that you can take or, you know, with your doctor or whatever to check the physical condition of your heart, there are different indicators and tests that tell us about the spiritual condition of our hearts. And the reason why this is so important, the reason why this conversation is so important is because of what Solomon says in Proverbs 4.23. If you grew up in church, you've heard this, but he kind of gives us um, an insight into how important this is. He says, above all else, like this is of the utmost importance, guard your heart. And, and Proverbs is wisdom literature, okay? Even if you're not a Jesus follower, there's so much wisdom in there on how life is lived best. And he says, listen, the best thing for you, one of the most important things you can do is to guard your heart. Why? Pay attention to what's in your heart. Pay attention to what you've got going on in here because everything you do flows from it. Every word, every thought, um, every action, all of it has its origins in the heart. In this metaphor of, of everything you do flows from the heart. Uh, different translations, um, maybe you grew up reading that uh, guard your heart because it is the wellspring of your life. Imagine a, a wellspring or, or the source um, where, things for, where streams flow from. When that becomes contaminated, it affects everything downstream from it. And the same is true for our hearts. That if, if it goes unchecked, if we allow, um, if we allow different um, things to reside in our hearts, different evil, different unprocessed emotions, um, different things that that go unchecked, they will flow into the rest of your life and impact your life professionally, spiritually, relationally, emotionally, mentally. This is of the utmost importance. So, three indicators to help us monitor how we're doing. And last week, the first indicator was your words. Your words, and if you weren't with us, um, we said that your words are often, they're very powerful. We talk about how powerful our words are, um, but according to Jesus, he showed us that our words, our words are also revealing. He says this in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, just by way of review. He says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. That the words that you say and the words that I say, they are powerful and they carry weight and they can build up or they can tear down. But in the moments when they tear down, in the moments when they hurt, in the moments when we're angry, in the moments when we're harsh, it's not just some out of character, oh, I wasn't feeling good kind of day. According to Jesus, there's something unresolved in our hearts that's made its way to the outside. So a way to monitor what you're storing up in your heart is to pay attention to the words that you speak. 
Now, to, to set us up for indicator number two, I, I kind of want to make an observation about our culture. This is going to sound like an indictment, not an indictment, more of an observation. Um, that our Western world, kind of our Western culture, um, is a world of more now in excess, okay? More now in excess. Like, whatever we have, the tendency is, and maybe even the temptation is, to want more. Whatever we want, the tendency is, and maybe even the temptation is, to want it now, right? Like, we, we can't wait on, on anything. Like, I mean, we, we want it immediately. If we're waiting in the drive-thru for four minutes instead of two minutes, like, we we burn the roof of our mouths on hot pockets. Like we can't, we, yeah, we can't wait on anything, right? And then, and then whatever we have and whatever we want, we want more of it, even more than we need. And in the world of excess and more and instant gratification, and then you sprinkle in social media, which is a tool of social comparison, unlike anything the world has ever seen, and you put all that together, it is perhaps easier than ever to have an unhealthy relationship with money and material possessions. Indicator number two. Right, you know this, you know this, um, that there are certain things that in and of themselves are not bad. They're just morally neutral things. They, they're not good, they're not bad, they're not unhealthy, they're not healthy, they're just, they just are. And if you have an unhealthy relationship with them, it's not good for your heart. Like um, the couch and Netflix, I love me a good show, right? But if you're just, if you're never getting any exercise, right? I mean, like, it's not good for your heart. We, we already established this last week. Too much caffeine. I love a cup of coffee. But too much caffeine is not good for your heart, right? Diet, depending on, on, on your relationship with food and whether or not you work out, there are certain things that just, they, they, an unhealthy relationship with them are not good for your heart physically. And the same is true for money. In and of itself, it is not bad. We need it. You have to make it. You're allowed to enjoy it. And there is so much good to be done with it. However, it seems that it has always been a part of the human condition to be tempted, to be drawn, to have an unhealthy relationship with money, to allow the love of it to be elevated in our hearts to an unhealthy level, to allow it to climb the ladder of priority in our hearts. And, and, and while we live in a world of more excess and now more than any other generation, this is not a new temptation. In fact, Jesus literally spoke of this very tension centuries ago in a Sermon on the Mount. He, write, he said this, Matthew recorded it for us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. He says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. This, this word storing up, it, it describes a habitual process. Do not make the pattern of your life to be one that is all about storing up treasures for yourself here on earth. Do not let it be the pattern, the habitual nature of your life. Now, what Jesus is talking about here, more than stuff, he's talking about the concentration and the sole focus of your life and mine. And he's saying, hey, do not let the main goal of your life to be about prosperity wealth and acquiring possessions. That, that it's so easy, and, and, and for, for a couple of disclaimers that's helpful before we continue with this particular passage. Um, for those of you that are in that you're not Jesus followers, there's going to be some stuff today that's just 
you know, you, you can kind of push this aside. Like it doesn't necessarily apply to you, but um, I hope by the end of our time together, you will at least be convinced of what Jesus is saying and why it applies to you, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. And then there's another group of you in the room. Um, I don't know, let's say you're a college student and you're like, honestly, I'd, I'd love an unhealthy relationship with money. I'll, 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 I'll literally take any relationship with money, actually. Uh, that'd be great. I'll deal with the unhealthy side of that later. You know what I'm saying? So if that's you, um, this still applies to you because how you view something does not change once you get it. In fact, how you view it now will impact what you do when you get it and even your pursuit of it. So no matter who you are in the room tonight, tonight the, this morning, um, this applies to you because here's what's true for all of us. Here's what's true for all of us is that it is so easy for there to be a pull and a temptation. It becomes so easy to let the aim of life to be to get to gain and to earn, whatever that is for you. To get, to gain, and to earn. None of that is bad, but when it becomes the sole focus is what Jesus is talking about. To spend our lives using our money to acquire stuff, to buy stuff, to build up our own little kingdoms. To store up stuff that we don't even need, to store up more than we need. I mean, come on, um, this should be so telling that especially in, in our Western culture, there are so many people um, that live beyond their means to store up treasures. And what Jesus is talking about here, it's the idea of, of like hoarding, okay? Um, I'm not good at like letting stuff go. I've got, I've got a problem, okay? My wife literally is the reason why Goodwill has anything to give away. And so um, <clears throat> and, and God, sometimes it, it, it's just like, I need the golf balls. And she's like, well, you, didn't, you don't play golf often. I'm like, but when I do, I'm going to wish I had them. You know what I'm saying? But anyways, it's my problem. It's, it's on me. It's not her. She's doing the right thing. Uh, that'll be proved later. Um, but this, this, this hoarding mentality, and here's the idea. It's earn, 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 get, 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 buy, buy, buy. <clears throat> Hello, NSYNC. And... and When I wrote that, I didn't write it as a joke, but when I said it, I was like, that's funny. Um, And keep, keep, keep. It's the pull, the temptation. I need that. I I want that. I deserve that. That will make me happy. So the temptation and the pull, more, now, excess. I'm going to go buy this. I'm going to go there. I need to drive that. And in and of themselves, Jesus is talking, again, he's not talking about the stuff itself, but the attitude. And, and he just starts with a very logical argument. You can, certainly an option, he said. But I'm telling you, don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth. Where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. In other words, hey, that's certainly an option, but it's not the best option. Because it's all temporary. Like, don't let the love of money climb the ladder of priorities to the top of your heart because anything you'll acquire or get is temporary. It will either wither away or be stolen away. It will leave you or you will leave it. So he says, there's another option. But instead, here's another option. He would argue, I would argue, a better option. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. In other words, make a different kind of investment. Make an investment that will last forever. Make an investment that will have eternal impact. Make an investment that will do good, that will far outlive you or me. And this is the part where if you're not a Jesus follower, you you can ignore this for a minute, okay? But I promise you, this is going to become relevant in just a second. But if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've put your faith in Jesus, here's what he's saying. Don't make decisions with your money as if this is the only life that you've got. Don't make decisions with your money. Don't use your money to only build up your small and my small little kingdom. Don't just throw it away at stuff that isn't going to last. Because come on, if you're a follower of Jesus, when you store up treasures for yourself here on earth, when it becomes the ultimate aim of your life to get, to gain, and to earn, and to keep, and to buy, and to acquire... It puts you at the center of your kingdom. The love of money climbs up to the top of the list and it is so, so subtle. Because it kind of starts out as like, well, I've just got to, I've just got to get here. I've just got to do this. I've just, I'm just, it, it starts out as a goal. It starts as something that might even be good. I'm trying to get out of debt. I'm trying to get this job. And then it's just so subtle. It starts pulling your heart. And the second money gets a grip, it'll slowly start just gripping tighter and tighter and tighter. And next thing you find yourself storing up honor. You're at the center. And the love of money is way too high a priority. But Jesus is saying to store up treasures in heaven is to put your Savior the one that died and rose again, that you've put your faith in to put him and his kingdom at the center. And if we are to take the teachings of Jesus seriously, it's impossible to put him at the center without putting others before us at the center. If nothing else, we couldn't be further from the center. And we leave money in its appropriate place in our hearts. We don't let the love of it climb up the ladder of priorities in our hearts. And then he, he says this. It's such a famous line. You've, you, you, most of you have heard this. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Where you store up your treasure, this, is, this should scare us. It will become the guiding principle of your life. It will become the guiding principle of your life. The, the heart here is the, the whole being, the seat of your understanding, knowledge, and will, the totality of who you are, that where you choose to store up your treasures. In other words, what becomes the most important thing? It's going to drive everything. It will become the guiding principle of your life. And it'll impact, impact your decision making. It'll impact who you begin to become. It'll begin to impact the state of your heart. And Jesus here, this is so important. He's not talking about the amount of money and the amount of treasure and money and treasure. It's not the bad guy here. The problem is our attitude, our mindset, and our values system. And he he uses this metaphor to kind of drive home the point. He says this in the next verse. He goes on. He says, the eye, the eye is the lamp of the body. In other words, like quite literally, um, through the eye, you, you know, you can interpret and see light. And so in a sense, he says, if, if your eyes are healthy, then your whole body is full of light. It's the lamp of the body in the sense that through the eye, light enters. And so if your eyes are healthy, well, the body's full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? The eye is the source of light to the body. The eye is healthy, body full of light. If the eye is unhealthy, light is not coming into the body. Your body is full of darkness. Now think of this in terms of the metaphor of the heart. What does the eye do? It controls your focus. It controls your attention. And that ultimately becomes your affection. So with a healthy eye, when you see clearly, you're seeing with clear vision, you're focused on what is right and what is best. Your body is full of light, which in the scriptures is a sign of life, real life. Your body is full of fullness. You experience goodness and purpose. But an unhealthy eye, blurry vision, not clear vision, focused on the less optimal things, the body full of darkness, which is a sign of emptiness, walking around aimless without clear vision or purpose. And Jesus kind of ties it all together. He says, look, no one can serve two masters. Just like you can't focus on two things at one time. Your eyes, you can't focus on two things at one time, right? You can't multitask. Even though you think, I, I think that I can I know that I can't. Literally, science has told us you can't multitask, okay? Um, my wife told me first. But <clears throat> you can't focus on two things at once. So she's saying, hey, you can't have a defi- divided interest. It doesn't work. It doesn't compute. The math doesn't check out on that. You can't divide your interest between God and money. Because if you try, and we've all tried, and I've tried, and at some points in my life, I will probably try again. You'll lack clear vision, walking without clear direction in spiritual darkness, which is a sign of an unhealthy heart and an unhealthy relationship with money. Because he says you can't serve two masters because look, either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This word money here literally means wealth, but this word Jesus, um, mammon. And, and mammon was actually a pagan, a pagan god of money. And so Jesus uses just really strong imagery here. You can't serve God, who you've said you've put your faith in, who I've said I put my faith in, and a small g god, mammon, a god of money, a god of money, kind of personifying money as this thing that's going to want your worship, want your attention, and want your life. You can't devote your life to both. You can't serve both God and mammon. And, and here's the part. You might be like, okay, cool. Um, I don't, I don't want to serve God. I don't even know that I believe in God. I'm not sure. I'm just still trying to check things out. Okay, no matter where you are, whether you have or don't have, whether you believe in Jesus or not, here's, here's kind of the payoff for all of us. Here's what we've got to walk away with. Whether you're a Jesus follower or not, money is a terrible master. Money is a terrible God. Money is a terrible master, and the love of it, it will drive you to chase something that you will never have enough of, that you will enter into the rat race of humanity trying to earn something that you'll never get enough of, never experiencing true contentment or fulfillment 
I, I, I think I've shared this before, but it's, it's just so powerful and so revealing and so telling. Um, one of the richest people in modern history, modern day history, John D. Rockefeller, at the height of his success, right? If you took his wealth today and brought it into day large, he'd be worth over $600 billion. So this man is, it's what we would call stupid rich, okay? So, so much money. And at the height of kind of his success and power, he was asked in an interview, he's getting on in, in years and he's still working. And the interviewer asked him, hey, Mr. Rockefeller, you've, you've amassed all this wealth. You're still working. How much more would be enough? And his response, he said, just a little bit more. You'll chase something. Chase something down that will never give you what you're looking for. And that's not freedom. That's not joy. That's not happiness. That is tyranny that will leave you and I empty. Is having it the problem? No, but loving it to the point to where you're chasing it. It's never going to give you what you want. And no amount of it is ever enough. Money's a terrible master. The love of money, it's a terrible master. The love of money, it will force you to face inward. The more you love it, the more you're going to face inward. The more you let it grip your heart, the more you're going to face inward. And the more inward you face, the less purpose you walk with. The more inward you face, you will never be able to catch a glimpse of being a part of something bigger than yourself. The more inward you face, the less happiness you experience. This is research. Research tells us outward-facing generous people are happier people. Money will turn you inward. You will end up wasting your life on all that will fade away, never catching a glimpse of purpose and being a part of something bigger being a part of what God is doing in and through the redemption of humanity. And then this one. The more inward you face, the more bored with faith you'll become and the more bored with life you'll become. I was having a lunch with a gentleman that goes to our church and we were talking about this idea. And he was just, yeah, when God, when, when we're talking about God, the love of money as a small g God, and he's like, the longer that's the case, the more, you're, more bored you'll become. And I was like, tell me more. And he's like, there is nothing exciting about facing inward and living for self. The adventure and the excitement and the thrill and the purpose is being a part of what God is building. Be a part of making the world better. Being a part of helping people experience goodness, love, and showing them a side of Jesus. Facing inward is boring. The stuff, it rusts. The stuff is eventually is going to be, I need another stuff. But there is nothing that beats the adventure of being a part of something, building something that will outlive and outlast you. Money is a terrible master. It will never satisfy your deepest desires. It'll leave you and me empty, wanting, and the opposite of full. And here's what it'll start to do. Again, this is so subtle. It will begin to erode your conscience. The more you love it, the more you give it room to grip your heart. It'll begin to erode your conscience, blur your vision of what really matters, cloud your decision making, and it will begin to harden your heart. 
And it starts out so, so subtle. Money is a terrible master. Incredible tool, terrible master. And here's what you've got to get. And here's what I've got to get. And I know talking about money is sensitive. And maybe you've come from a church tradition where all they did was ask you for money. Please get this. God doesn't need to have your money. He is God. He's not over here like, ah, man, you get paid every two weeks. When's my check coming? Like, he's fine, you know? His direct deposit is good. He's God. He doesn't need you or me, and he certainly doesn't need your money, but don't miss this. God doesn't want your money to have God doesn't want your money to get a grip of your heart and guide your life. And then you and I become people that we don't ever want to become. God doesn't want your money to have you. Not because money is bad. But come on. Jesus knows that the love of money will erode your heart. And it will harden your heart. And Jesus doesn't want you to love money more than you love walking in his way. That ultimately leads to fullness. That narrow way, that's what leads to life. Jesus doesn't want you or me to waste our time building up our small little kingdoms that will one day fade away, but be a part of building up his kingdom where there is good to be done. There are people to be impacted, bringing light to the darkness. But once it starts grabbing hold, if we don't put it in check, it'll just start squeezing tighter. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He wrote this book called The Screwtape Letters. It's about temptation. C.S. Lewis writes this. He says, prosperity, prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it as he starts to prosper, while really here's what's happening. It is finding its place in him. It is grabbing a hold of his heart. It is taking up residence on the inside. It is so subtle. But then it starts growing. It starts eroding. And we've allowed the love of it to become more of a guiding principle than we would have ever imagined. So how do you know? If money has you. How do you know? This is a temptation for all of us. How do you know if you've got an unhealthy relationship with money? This is the part that just requires a level of honesty with yourself that no one can force on you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I just, I want you to, I want you to wrestle with some of these questions that I'm about to ask you. Because you're the only one that can really uncover this in your own heart. It's easy to brush it off and say, this is not a problem for me, but I'm just, I'm just telling you. It requires a level of vulnerability and honesty with yourself, but you will be so much better for it. How do you know if money has you? Does money have your affection? Does money have your affection? I mean, come on, who doesn't love getting paid, right, when, when, it's, when it's paycheck day. But come on, do you love it? How much do you love 
your stuff? Is your stuff or your money, is it the end or is it a means to an end? Big difference. Is it the end? Is it the end goal or is it a means to some end that you get to decide? Is it a means to something better? Is it a means to building? Is it a means to something else? Come on. Does money have your affection? Do you daydream about having more thinking it's just going to make you happier and healthier? Come on. How much do you love it? Is there anything that you would struggle to let anybody borrow? Do you seek? Do you seek money? Or sorry, first, sorry, now go back. That's not me. I skipped it. Go back. <clears throat> Does money give you validation? Does money give you... Because of how much you have or don't have, do you feel more important or less important than somebody else? Because of how much you have or don't have, do you feel like less of a human or more of a human? Do you feel superior or less superior? Is it the thing that makes you feel valuable? If yes, you might have an unhealthy relationship. Have you ever looked down on someone that had less? Have you ever judged somebody that had more? Come on, do you look for money for validation personally? Do you feel worse about yourself, comparing yourself to what other people have? And then do you seek money to fill a void? Do you seek money to fill a void? Do you seek money to fill a deep desire in your heart? You're trying to figure out even how to fill it. You want to be enough. You want to find your place. You want to feel contentment. You want to feel joy. You want to feel feel peace. And do you seek money to try to fill those voids? If you have, you know there comes a point where you got to find something else, buy something else, earn something else, because it does not last long. If the answer to any of those questions was yes, you might have an unhealthy relationship with money. The love of it has climbed too high in your heart. So, what do we, what do, we do about it? Here's the good news and the bad news. The good news is, it's, the answer is really, there's one answer. It's really simple. The bad news is, so you might not like it at first, okay? <clears throat> there's really only one way. There's really only one way to ensure that money doesn't have a grip on your heart. There's only one way to make sure that your money doesn't have you. And that is to practice and to plan to give it away. To practice a life of generosity and to have a plan for generosity. To practice generosity and to plan. Now look, you decide where. I'm not going to tell you where to do that. You decide the amount. That's not what this is about. This is about you and I practicing generosity and and, and having a plan for generosity. Practicing it in the everyday moments and then planning. 
planning. This is pre-deciding. This is pre-deciding. I'm not going to let money grab a hold of my heart. This is pre-deciding. This is within my budget. This is what works for me or for our family. This is our plan to be generous. Before it even hits my checking account, I'm going to pre-decide. I'm not even going to let it get close to grabbing my heart. I'm going to go ahead and put it in its place. I'm going to have a plan to be generous. I'm going to have a plan to make sure it never has a hold of my heart. Practice and plan. Practice, okay? I, I love this. This is, this is, when I say practice, I want you to practice in the small ways. Like, not every bit of your generosity has to come with a tax deduction receipt. You know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes practicing generosity is you're out to eat, and the waiter or the waitress is awesome. Maybe you hear a little bit of the story, and you're like, you know what? I'm giving 40% tip tonight instead of no Christian should give less than, never mind, I'm not going there. <clears throat> Man, uh, okay, Whew. okay, we're gonna keep going. Be generous, okay. But when I'm gonna get forty. I'm gonna get forty percent tonight. I want to be generous to her. I want to be generous to them. It's when you find that somebody has a need, a neighbor, a family member, a friend, no strings attached. Hey, I, this, this, I, I just want to. I want to help. It's when you see a friend going through something on a GoFundMe and say, you know what? I could do something else with this money. I could do something else with this 50 bucks, this 20 bucks, this 100 bucks, whatever. I'm going to practice being generous. I want generosity to flow out of me. That I'm going to stop just hoarding stuff in my garage or my attic, and I'm going to donate it. I'm going to do some good with it. I'm going to practice this. And when I led our college ministry, I led our college ministry called The Living Room for about seven years, and um, we did a series on money. And we wanted them, we, well, part of it was we, we wanted them to, you know, learn how to appropriately view money and, and, and figure out how to start budging with the little that they did have. And there was a, a couple that went to our church, as part of our church. Super, super generous. And they had a heart for, um, for college students. They specifically had a heart for helping college students figure out how to handle money and how to learn to be generous. So they were regular givers to our church. And above and beyond what they regularly gave, they wanted to give a gift to the college ministry and figure out a way to help use it to help college students learn to be generous. So they gave us um, $18,000, okay, something like that, 15, something, something crazy, something, something awesome, something crazy. And they're like, hey, what if we use this money, we gave it to college students in, in some way, and, and they figured it out, and, and it was a way for them to practice being generous. I was like, I mean, are are you asking? My answer is obviously yes. I feel like the ball, like you tell me, you tell me what you want to do. So, so they donated this money. Normally we, we broke it up into small denominations, 20s, 50s, 100s. And we had a couple other campuses that were doing college ministry. So it kind of went all over. And we put them in envelopes. And I'll never forget right here in this auditorium, we had hundreds of college students back in 2019. Hundreds of college students in this room and giving this talk on money and pricing, being generous. And at the end of the message, they all got an envelope. And I was like, hey, don't open this envelope yet. And I kind of set up what we were doing and then they open the envelope and they're like freaking out like, oh my gosh, I love church, you know? <laughs> Everybody got saved that night. <laughs> I said, it was one of the coolest nights I've ever been. I said, one rule. Actually, it was technically two rules. But I was like, you can't use it on yourself. And then I told him, don't give it to the church. I said, get out and go practice being generous to somebody else. Go make somebody's day. Go get a taste of generosity. Go see what it feels like to help somebody just because you felt like it. Because you follow a Savior that gave everything. Go get a taste. 
of generosity. So today, on your way out, nobody's getting an envelope. (laughs) Yeah, I thought about it. We'll take them. I'll take the envelopes. Come on. How can you begin to practice it? And that's the thing about practicing, right? You practice something little, but in the small ways, it starts to build a muscle in you. And then you get a taste of it. And it is so much better than anything you could ever gain or buy or consume for yourself. You get a taste of that generosity, and it just does something to you. You become knitted into humanity in a way as if you were created for. Practice. And then, I want you to make a plan. Again, this is when you pre-decide. I'm not even going to let it get close to grabbing my heart. I'm going to go ahead and decide where this is going to go. This is when you pick an organization and you figure out a plan. Again, I don't care. You decide that. You figure out a plan, a percentage, a number, whatever it is. And you find an organization that you believe in. And you say, you know what? They're doing good. I'm going to make a plan to give to them. And you execute the plan. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, if he is your risen Savior that you sing to, that you want to follow, that you put your faith in, you should absolutely have a plan for how you are to support your local church financially. Now, if it's not here, that's fine. If you're new here, I'm not, this is not for you. If you're trying to check things out here, you're trying to church shop, totally get it. Do your thing, okay? Wherever you end up calling home, do it there. doesn't have to be here. That's okay. But wherever it is that you call home, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can't get around this. You decide the amount. You decide what that looks like. But you got to have a plan. And if you do call this church home, if your family calls this church home, and you don't have a plan, I just want to ask, what's holding you back? If, if it's us, if it's something that we're doing, or if there's a question that you have and it's holding you back, let's talk about it. Now, I'll meet with you. Let's talk about it. I'd love to answer any question that I can. But if it's not us, it might be worth checking your heart and honestly examining whether or not the love of money has a hold. Because let me just tell you, There is so much good to be done in Jesus' name. And let me just tell you a little bit about this church. There is so many, there are so many people that we want to reach. There are so many students whose faith we want to build up. There are so many families that, are, that, that we want to transform, that Jesus wants to transform. There is so much good work to be done. There are so many countries that we can take the gospel to. There are so many churches in this state, in this country, and around the world that I think we should plant, that we can plant. Don't let your money have you. Don't get bored. There's too much good to do. There's too much of an adventure to be had. Don't face inward. Don't store up things here. Don't get caught in the rat race. And hear me. Money's not the problem. You should make money. You should work hard. 
take care of your family. Treat yourself. Like, it's all good. I've got three girls. All right, I, I think I'm only going to let one of them get married. And so <laughs> I've got weddings to pay for. I want to save. I want to be smart. I want to retire, okay? I want to treat my wife. Like, I'm not saying any of that. You know, but come on, that's a far cry from letting it be your master. And I'm just here to tell you that this church exists and there is so much good that we have done over the past couple of decades and I'm so confident we'll continue to because there are people that you're sitting beside that have said, I'm going to sow into this place. I'm not going to soar up treasures here on earth. I want to make a different kind of investment. Some of the most generous people on the planet go to this church. Join them. I'm just telling you. On the other side of your generosity... On the other side of seeing money as a means to some end, not the end. On the other side of investing in an eternal impact. On the other side of practicing and planning. I'm just telling you, there's more purpose. A lot more freedom. An adventure. Happiness fulfillment, clarity of vision, right priorities, and ultimately a healthy heart. So, it takes honesty though. Don't let your money have you because it's a terrible master. And we've been invited into something bigger, following a savior that gave everything to save. So let's practice. Let's put a plan together. Let's practice. Let's put a plan together. Let's get a taste of a life of generosity that I'm just telling you, you will never want to pull back from. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, This is hard sometimes. But would you just give us, would you give us the courage, the, the understanding, even the awareness to honestly assess our love for money? Would, would, you, would, you, would you give us the ability to assess what's really going on in the heart? And Father, would you give us the faith? Would you give us the faith to follow Jesus as it relates to our finances? Would you, would you give us the faith to put generosity at the forefront? Would you give us a vision and a picture of what that might look like? And then give us the faith to follow. To faith to follow through. Would you give each of us a taste of what generosity looks like? And Father, may you continue to do an incredible work in the name of Jesus, bringing light to the darkness through the generosity of the people that make up this church. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.